Hi, I'm Trevor Adams. Ever tasted a rainbow? Well, in this podcast, you will. Great. Now that we've got your attention, this podcast has absolutely nothing to do with rainbows. No, sadly not. But it is about presidents. In this podcast, we are setting out to determine how a president should really be remembered. Should we look back on these leaders in a good light or a poor one? Our goal is to answer that question and many more, as well as rank our presidents from the worst to the best. So hold on to your wigs, W-H-I-G-S, ladies and gentlemen. Keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the time machine at all times. Taking you on a journey through time, I'm Caleb Sampson. And I'm still Trevor Adams. And you're listening to... The Presidential Podcast. Folks, my name is Caleb Sampson, and you are listening to a presidential podcast. With me in the studio today is my co-host, Mr. Trevor Adams. Well, folks, for our inaugural season, we've decided to kick it off with a look at our nation's 37th president. And that, of course, is President Richard Milhouse Nixon. In this season, we will be doing an in-depth analysis of the rise and fall of the Nixon administration. We will cover years 1968 through 1975, and you'll probably get a little bit more before and after that. We will also highlight the causes and effects of both President Nixon's successes and failures as our nation's 37th president. We hope you stay tuned for our season one, President Richard Milhouse Nixon. Caleb Sampson, as always, and today we're going to kick off our episode with some background information on Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was born in 1913 in Southern California. He attended Whittier College and earned a degree in history. Yes, Trevor? Uh, that's correct. Uh, history is correct answer. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, after attending Whittier, he attended Duke University and earned his law degree. He then met his future wife, Pat. And they soon got married, and following their marriage, Richard Nixon enlisted in the Navy and served in World War II. After coming back home, Trevor has information on that for you. Yes, so in 1946, Nixon begins his political career, and quickly he succeeds. He essentially wins by being this anti-communist hero. In this 46 run for House, California's 12th district, which, a quick tangent, is the same district Nancy Pelosi currently represents, Bring it back. He falsely links his opponent, five-time incumbent Jerry Voorhees, to a communist pack. And Nixon, being the extremely persuasive person he is, convinces his constituents, and he wins. Um, his anti-commie rhetoric gives him mad street cred in the House GOP, so he gets on a bunch of committees. He's popular right away. 1950 comes around. He decides to run for a U.S. Senate seat. What he does to his opponent, Helen Gahagan Douglas, falls right in line with the previous election. Nixon goes on and compares his opponent's voting record to that of a communist party liner and essentially says they must have the same views. The populace buys this, he wins again. Nixon is the creator of the denigrative method, which is negative campaigning. 
He created the attack ad, and whether or not there was truth to the fire he was spitting didn't really matter. People bought it. Thus, he gets to the nickname Tricky Dick. Tricky Dick, at only the age of 39, goes on to get the vice president nomination alongside the to-be president, Dwight Eisenhower. He actually runs into some early scandal here. It has to do with receiving political gifts, but being the trickster he is, he goes on this pathos rant talking about how the only gift he got was their dog, Checkers, and tells his daughter that he would never get rid of it. People fell in love with Tricky Dick, and a political star is at his peak. After losing in 1960 to John F. Kennedy, and then again losing the race for California governor in 1962, this is all after Eisenhower's um, second term is over, Richard Nixon announced he was done with politics, saying to the press, quote, you don't have Richard Nixon to push any around anymore, gentlemen. This is my last press conference, unquote. When he again ran in 1968, he presented a new image, this of being dignified and a change from his, um, what many people viewed him as, angry and anxious. Um, he later credited his, credited his loss to John F. Kennedy due to the first ever televised presidential debate. In said debate, John F. Kennedy looked cool and calm and the president that America was looking for, well, Nixon looked sweaty and clammy and nervous and people didn't question whether or not he had the ability to run their nation. And that takes us up to 1968. And before we go into our next segment, which is historical context for 1968, we're going to take a break, folks. So hang with us while we go to a break. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everyone. As we move along. In 1968, we are rewarded with an extremely riled-up nation. Anti-war protesting, civil rights movement, etc. This riled-up nation is unfortunately filled with extreme anger, fear, and hate as racial divisions intensify, the assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert Kennedy, and the Vietnam War continuing against the will of the populace. Basically, um, in 1968, there's a lot happening. Many historians view this as the definitive year of the 60s. Like Trevor said, you're facing um, the Vietnam War. You have um, racial rights movement, women's rights movement. The sexual revolution is beginning to happen. But I think that the big thing here that relates to um, our case in this season, Richard Nixon, is how divided the Democratic Party is. But we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. More on the uh, context for the year a big thing to note about this year that we'll come back later um, is the Civil Rights Act of 1968 is passed by um, Lyndon B. Johnson this year, the sitting president. It's commonly referred to as the Fair Housing Act, but it essentially prohibits discrimination concerning the sale, rental, and financing of housing, which is big because this also comes back later. But the Voting Rights Act of 1965 raises the uh, black voter registration in the South from 1 million in the 1964 presidential election to 3 million in the 1968 presidential election. So that's the, those are two big things that you'll have to remember when we get into the full election. Um, some more information on the year. Um, big things are happening in Vietnam. Operation Rolling Thunder between 1965 and 1968. The U.S. drops three times the total tonnage of bombs used by all the combatants in World War II. That's, that's a lot because it plays into what happens later. Um, we have the Tet Offensive happen. This really begins at the end of 1967, but um, U.S. Commander, Commander General William Westmoreland 
He told Americans that the North Vietnamese were losing and that the end of the war was near, but what is really found out in January of 1968 is that the communists launched the Tet Offensive and attacked cities that the U.S. had considered secure, killing over 1,100 U.S. troops. Despite the fact that the Tet Offensive was a major defeat for communists in military terms, Americans lost confidence and in official announcements of optimism about the war. Basically, this secured Lyndon B. Johnson's demise and how he will, will, will later learn is that he will withdraw his name from the presidency ticket because um, there are probably multiple reasons, but uh, largely what I think is in part of how divisive the Vietnam War becomes. Um, yeah, and that I think takes us right up to 1968. Well, as going, going off of OBJ not going for the nomination, do we think uh, – a lot going on. Do we think that was becoming too much for him? Do you think it's because of the polling? Because polling numbers started to show in March about that time where he dropped out that that he would lose to Nixon. Are we thinking? Where are we thinking? You know. Yeah. Um. I think it's a lot. I think he's dealing with a lot. He's getting. He's not young. Note that he. Um. Lyndon B. Johnson passes away in 1973, 1973 from a heart attack. Like like I said, it's probably a lot of things. It's probably the stress of the just the job in general, um, the divisiveness that he gets from his. Um, I forgot to mention, but he does cancel, um, stop all bombing in Vietnam. He probably gets earns divisiveness from that. Um, and the Democratic Party is up until this point. The Democratic Party really, I think, um, I believe that when FDR is elected, the Democratic Party is the strongest party in the United States. Yes, Trevor. I agree. Yes. Yeah. And I think, um, well, what historians say is that um, starting in 1968 to present era is known as the era of divided politics, that there's not really a clearly more favorable or favored party in the United States. Like there was previous to this, how the Democrats were favored kind of from FDR to 1968. And I think that this is really begins, kind of seals the fate of the Democratic demise. And we we got to give OBJ some credit because you know we, we we maybe forget, but he was president for six years. He had to finish out Kennedy's term. He had to watch his president just you know kind of blow up in his mask, go all go, go all over the place. So he he went through a lot, and that could be definitely another just big reason that his time has come. And I think he just maybe realized that. Yep. All right, folks. Well, that will take us to our next section. And this is probably going to be the bulk of this episode, but we are going to talk about the 1968 election. The 1968 election featured uh, quite a few big names in politics for the era. And uh, Trevor's going to hit you with some facts right now. Yeah, so we'll start with the Republicans. Um, Nixon, big name himself already, had his early peak and kind of fell off a little bit after losing that governor's raise. Mm -hmm. But then he was taking on some pretty big names. He had Rockefeller, Daddy Romney, and a younger Reagan. Um, Daddy Romney, because Mitt Romney's father. No, no, no other reason beyond that. Um, but yeah, no, he took him on, and uh, young young Ronald Reagan was actually able to do pretty well. He did win the popular vote in the primary. However, being from California is where he got all his votes. But Nixon was able to win most of the most of the states. I think that's important to note that uh, who Nixon is running against, because like these aren't these aren't small names, people. He's, he's got lots of competition. This comeback by Nixon is often known um, by political scientists as 
one of the greatest political comebacks of all time because Nixon is is essentially a dead president or a dead president a dead <laughs> politician Trevor's laughing at me he's essentially a dead politician at this point but he comes back after losing both the presidential election following his vice presidency and the governmental election for California in 1962 and he wins yes he he wins you absolutely correct yeah so let's talk about let's talk about the democrats so you have our current vp at the time her hubert humphrey (laughs) (laughs) hubert humphrey that it was on the tip okay and then i have to say even though being the vice president do you really think he was the front runner or was this guy by the name kennedy is that name familiar to you Uh, that doesn't ring a bell (laughs) no well there's this guy named bobby kennedy happened to be related to the former president jfk he was pulling pretty well he had numbers going for him secret yeah, he is falling really well. <laughs> he is falling really, really well. But something happens. We kind of hit at it earlier, but Kennedy no longer in the race. Yeah, um, in 1968, um, Bobby Kennedy is assassinated. Um, and this is just a couple months after MLK. Yeah, too. after after MLK. And I think in studying this election, it is unfor- obviously it is super unfortunate that Bobby Kennedy is assassinated. That's, that's a terrible thing. But... Um, for Nixon, this is honestly, I think it's one of the turning points for his campaign, because Bobby Kennedy is an extremely popular candidate, and the Democrats have controlled the nation's politics for thirty plus years now. And I think that people are looking at Bobby Kennedy. They like they liked um, JFK, and I think they like Bobby Kennedy. No, yeah, there's the big. Just conflict here, and then, but with with Kennedy being out of the way for la- lack of a better better terminology, there, um, it opens the door for Nixon, a seemingly calm, cool, and collected compared to the mm-hmm. chaotic Democratic base. Because we gotta remember, as as we look back all the way to the Great Depression, the Democratic Party is huge; it's pretty much the entire entire country. With that comes you have minorities, and you have some of the southern whites that had some trouble with maybe some racism and whatnot. And at some point, once we get LBJ who passes the Civil Rights Civil Rights Act, uh, they start to turn away from that. So we get some Dixiecrat candidates such as um, Barry Goldwater in 64, becomes Republican, runs there. He does really well in the South because he, he talks about the racial divisions and makes you know people kind of turn against each other. Does it does that do him any good? No, he loses to LBJ by a lot. He wins the Southern states, and that and that's it. We get to '68, and the Southern strategy is kind of becoming a thing for Republicans. Does Nixon win the states? No, because we get George Wallace, who does. George Wallace alert. <laughs> um, Nobody saw George Wallace coming, people. He no. just he just like appeared out of thin air. And yes, and this is probably, to this day, the strongest third-party performance in the presidential election. Yeah, and if not the strongest, it's probably second. Like, it, it was impressive. Politicians in the era note this as extremely impressive for a third-party candidate. You know, bring, 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 bringing it back to... What bring we're, it back. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Democrats are split because you have these Southern Democrats um, that are kind of upset with the Civil Rights Act, and you kind of get this split. So the so these former Southern Democrats start they vote for Wallace, or they start moving over to Reagan, who seems, you know, just more collected and not so much for this 
new up-and-coming, I guess, the, the push for minorities and push from all these changes mm-hmm. that are happening. And Reagan looks like this calm who will just kind of let them take a step back and kind of calm, calm down a little bit. Yeah, and I think what's especially um, important to note now that how we're talking about how divided the Democratic Party was is that come the Democratic Convention in 1968, LBJ can't even go to the convention. The Secret Service will not let him go to the convention for fear that he'll be assassinated. That's how dangerous it was because there were riots outside of the convention. There were protests. And this ultimately, I also think, and I think Trevor would agree with me, that this is, again, one of the ceiling points of LBJ's presidency. He can't even go to the uh, convention. No, indeed, because public trust is way down with the government because they don't really feel like the assessment from the government and the reporting on the war is accurate. Um, his approval rating falls below 35%. And like, as you said, he couldn't even attend the convention in case, you know, great crazed uh, people might, you know, in safety. Because yeah. after, after Kenny, Kenny got assassinated just right before that. And MLK. MLK. Yeah. And then I guess even go back in further, JFK. So it's like all yeah. these recent assassinations of high-profile figures is not and yeah. that's unfortunate that... There was a legitimate fear for LBJ's safety. Mm-hmm. But this is important to note. In 68, government trust is down. They believe that they can trust Nixon. So let's just just keep that in your head as we move forward. They <laughs> <laughs> see Nixon as being the trustworthy one. But yeah, just keep that, <laughs> keep, that, keep that in your head. Yeah, after LBJ announces that he will not be accepting a nomination if he is chosen by his party, this really clears the field for Hubert Humphrey. Hubert Humphrey wins the nomination at the Chicago Convention. The Chicago Convention is crazy. Anti-war protests and police brutality are what this convention is now historically known for. Because of that, like Trevor mentioned, they felt like they can trust people like Ronald Reagan or Richard Nixon or the other Republican candidates that are running uh, Rockefeller and Daddy Romney, as Trevor so fondly puts it. But basically, Hubert Humphrey wins the nomination. We go to the Republican convention, which seems calm, collected, and cool compared to the Democratic convention. Usually still is today. <laughs> and Richard Nixon, by the skin of his teeth, pulls out the nomination for the, de- for the Republicans, beating out... Like Trevor said, Ronald Reagan won the popular vote, but Richard Nixon wins the Electoral College and heads to the... To to, to the general election, yes, they go. Yeah, so um, Richard Nixon basically versus Hubert Humphrey, but then we have our wild card, Mr. George Wallace. (laughs) George... Okay, (laughs) get it back. George Wallace, I don't... Honestly... No words describe George Wallace's performance. George Wallace is an independent. He attacks crime and anti-war protesters and civil rights and Washington bureaucrats. And it's it's kind of that, that far-right rhetoric that comes around in election year sometimes because you got to get the solid part of the base to entrust you, right? Is that what's kind of happening? Um, how does this not – why doesn't this affect Nixon poorly? Or, I mean, it does because he doesn't win those states, mm-hmm. but – how is it that Nixon? That kind of doesn't matter though, because Nixon still wins at the end. Because remember, these election num- these these general election numbers are very close. Hubert Humphreys yeah. nearly they're within the you know shouting shouting margin. They it's pretty close. But well, I what I have pulled up right here is that um, it's a very very tight race, not just between Nixon and Humphrey because Wallace manages to pull a large portion of the vote. Wallace wins thirteen percent of the popular vote, beyond the thirteen percent. Wallace wins five states in the Deep South. Five. 
that's a lot. Like, and, it, and it has to be taken from, you think, maybe Nixon at this point. Yeah, probably. Yep. But we remember this election for Nixon beating Humphrey. But George Wallace is here. Why, how do you think that George Wallace manages mm-hmm. to pull off such an impressive showing mm-hmm. for a third-party candidate in this election? And we, we don't ever see this again. No. Um, so we look at the Southern strategy call is something as the Republicans have taken advantage of. Is that what happens as we move forward? Does just Nixon just pull them in and then just keeps them for the long run? Uh, essentially, <laughs> into 1972. I mean, yeah, so you just see one every... Every state but, like, Massachusetts. But, yes, so I think the two big things to remember about this election here, three big things, Richard Nixon, Hubert Humphrey, and George Wallace. (laughs) George Wallace. Remember the name, because he will come back in 1972, and it won't be anywhere near as impressive as it was now. (laughs) Trevor, something very important to say about... A 1968 phone call, yes. Well, yes, yes, because we, we declared Nixon's winner, but there's one thing that was kind of shady and maybe maybe kind of... Underhand? Might have been betraying a little oh. bit. Uh, it seems like Nixon got had a phone call with uh, the current president, LBJ, and was was LBJ doing his party a favor, or was he helping the the, op- the opposing... Was he helping Nixon was he helping win? Nixon, yeah. Was he betraying Hubert Humphreys? 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 <laughs> George Wallace? <laughs> no, okay, but the truth is we actually do not know entirely what really happens here. We, we do know that Nixon calls LBJ. We do know they have a conversation. Do we know exactly how LBJ sides? Mm-hmm. I will say at the end, when we come right before, right before the election and LBJ kind of says he's pulling out the troops, I think at least... At the end, he was going for Humphrey to win. He came back to partisan politics, and he was helping out the party mm-hmm. to try to secure it. Early on, can I say, do I, do I think he wanted Humphrey to win? No, but do I th- we think he wanted Nixon to win? Not necessarily. We, I, don't, we ca- I can't say that for sure. But at the end, he wanted Humphrey to win and the Democratic Party to, to continue to lead at the national level. I would, I would say the same thing. I think that what historians really note here is that this phone call is important for two reasons. One, because is LBJ betraying his party by maybe siding with Nixon? And two, we don't entirely know what is going on in LBJ's mind. And this phone call is kind of alleviates that. What we do know is that towards the end of the election cycle, we historians are fairly positive LBJ is rooting for, or rooting is supporting Hubert Humphreys. Yes, Hubert Humphreys. <laughs> Correct. Not George Wallace. <laughs> But is he supporting Nixon earlier? This this poses a good question. We're n- we don't, now, we don't know entirely, but it's it's important to note things that we, even if you don't know them entirely, if you don't know everything about history, we don't know everything about history, but it's important that we study and we see all the things that happened, even if we don't know the direct answers. That said, Richard Nixon does win the election. And there's a party. I mean, I don't know if there's a party, but we're having a party back here because we get to do more episodes. Correct. I thought so. Five days after the election, Nixon has a press conference, and at his side is the vice president, Hubert Humphrey, and Nixon gets Humphrey to choke up. Yep, yep. It's, it's, a, it's a really touching political moment. Nixon basically thanks Humphrey for running a good campaign, 
and Humphreys does get choked up and he cries a little and Nixon pats him on the back. It's it's a it is an iconic moment of kindness between two politicians. Yes, it, it makes Nixon seem like this down to earth, empathetic human being that is concerned about the emotions and well being of the people around him. It's not it doesn't seem like he's this overly ambitious, power hungry person. What? What are you talking about? I'm not. I'm Look not. at his previous elections. He is nothing. Wait, great man. Nothing shady. Nothing shady. Nothing shady. Anyways, our main man, Spyro Agnew. What do we What do we want to say about this guy? Spyro Theodore Agnew. <laughs> Tell me this is not the single greatest name in the history of names. If Indeed. I was, if you were walking down the street, some dude could just be like, "Hey, what's up, Spyro?" <laughs> Are you telling me you wouldn't want to be called Spyro? Anyways, we haven't even told you who this is yet. Spyro Agnew, Spyro Theodore Agnew, is Nixon's vice president. Um, now that he's now that they're elected, he will be Nixon's vice president. I should say. Comments on Theodore Spyro Agnew? I I mean I think right now, being the year is only nineteen sixty eight. I don't know if we want to say too much more about this man. Um, and he comes back. He, I guess we can give you some background. I believe he was the the governor of a state by the name of Maryland. Yes, he was the 55th governor of Maryland. I'm sorry, I'm still held up on how cool Spyro is. His wife's name's Judy. Spyro and Judy. Looks like we're making a spinoff podcast. And Spyro 1, 2, 3, and 4. Four children, all (laughs) Spyro. Yeah. (laughs) One of them was a dragon, <laughs> the furball one. <laughs> Don't question the logic, Spyro and Judy. Our next podcast coming soon to theaters near you. It's a podcast with... And we're going to take a quick <laughs> break, and we'll be back with much more. Spyro. George Wallen. Welcome back, folks. I'm still Caleb Sampson. He's still Trevor Adams. And we're going to jump into the final section of our podcast today. This is the one that is chosen by our viewers. There are three options that you can vote on if you email us at a presidential podcast, no spaces, no uppercases, at gmail.com. And the three categories you can choose for each episode, we either do a reenactment, a conspiracy, or a what if. Today we're doing a what if. But if you want to see more about our show, you can visit us at sites.google.com backslash view backslash a presidential podcast 2020. And yes, that's really long. I apologize. But we're going to jump in today. We're doing, like I said, a what if category. And Trevor, hit us with the what if. All right. So since it's within the same time period, we wanted to, we wanted to take a look and see what if John Fitzgerald Kennedy isn't assassinated? OBJ became president, right? He runs for re-election once, wins, and then Nixon is president. But let's let's take a step back. He doesn't. Let's say Nixon. Let's say Kennedy finishes out those that term four years, and he runs again. What is that looking like for JFK? JFK was extremely popular. He was a very popular president. I think it's an interesting question for our what if today, because in all honesty, I do believe JFK wins the next election. And, he, and he's and he's in office till yeah. 68? He's an incumbent. 
I don't think there's any way he doesn't. He just he just finished a Bay of Pigs negotiation. That's huge. Um, what do you think? You th- I mean, I yes, I agree. JFK is very popular to popular to this day and at the time, of course. Looking even speculating even further, let's say he goes all eight years. Does his brother in let's say what happened there didn't? Does Robert Francis Kennedy run in '68 and win? Do you, we get back to back? Is there a Kennedy, Kennedy legacy of possibly 16 years right then and there? You know, Trevor, that is a very good question, and it's fascinating because, in all honesty, you probably there's a good chance you could have seen 16 years of Kennedy right right there, because JFK is super popular as so long as he doesn't do anything extremely divisive. Which we don't know could happen because it happened to Lyndon B. Johnson. Lyndon B. Johnson was popular for things like the Great Society because Vietnam was essentially inevitable at that point. And it happened and Kennedy would have been doing that. So His if, popularity could have just dropped because of the war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if Kennedy can get through Vietnam and remain relatively popular, I think Bobby Kennedy, I think essentially you, you, there's a good chance you could have seen 16 years of Kennedy. I, it, it's a very important question. Any more thoughts? Possibly even 24 with a Ted Kennedy run in 76? You're telling me Kennedy 60, Kennedy 64, Kennedy 68, Kennedy 72, Kennedy 76, Kennedy 80. Yes. That would, yeah. Yeah. I mean. That's a lot of Kennedys. 24 years of Kennedy? Do we think, so bringing it back to reality, without that, are the Kennedys – the biggest name in American politics, or we think maybe the Clintons, the Roosevelts, the Bushes, the Bushes, the Adams, <laughs> the Agnews, <laughs> the Wallaces. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not George Wallace. But it, it's not Spiro Agnew either. Um, it's fascinating to think about what, like, who had that biggest dynasty, like who was is the most important name in American politics. I think the large part of that is subject to judgment. If you're a big supporter of the Bushes or a big supporter of the Clintons or the Kennedys or the Roosevelts, then you might say that whichever one of those was your favorite, you might say that they were the biggest name in politics. Looking purely from a historical standpoint, I probably would lean more towards the Roosevelts just because FDR has nearly is is elected to hold 16 years in office doesn't because he passes away unfortunately but that's a long time and and, and just the amount the change because you go back to teddy first Mm -hmm. with trust busing national parks and then you get fdr who pretty much is what what our monitor welfare system looks like we get that with the new deal Mm -hmm. social security a lot of stuff he basically get us out of great depression so yeah historically speaking the roosevelts have left a long-lasting legacy because we can see it in our, in our in our daily lives we could argue that the kennedys have been around maybe are going to be around for a longer period of time and may be with us for as we continue yep. down the line i think yeah it's a lot of it is subject to history that is in the making mm. yeah because we have joseph kennedy the third right now who's writing for senate in massachusetts taking down ed mark he's a pretty progressive Pretty progressive candidate there that's been with Elizabeth Warren for the last decade or, or so. So just his name alone is pretty powerful because it, it's not like Ed Markey goes against what people in Massachusetts want. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been elected several times. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's the majority speaking. So mm-hmm. you never know. There could be 
the minority and then some of the majority that votes for him could vote for Kennedy. So, yeah, I think a lot of it is there are Kennedys still around. There are Bushes still around. There are Clintons still around. There's, I think it's a lot of it is still history in the making. But, yeah, bringing it back to what we were kind of talking about, what if, and how this relates to Nixon. Yeah. So, we're back. Let's say, let's say JFK assassination is real. That sentence that happens. Let's say Kennedy, after he's celebrating winning California's primary in 68, he beats, does he, does he beat Hubert Humphrey? So, the question we're posing this time is... JFK is assassinated, but RFK is not assassinated. So just Correct. just one um, of Kennedy brothers dies. Easily, to answer your question, easily. I think he easily beats Hubert Humphreys. It, I think that it's documented that he clearly was the favorite mm-hmm. to win the Democratic nomination. Mm-hmm. He was compelling. He was charming. People liked him. He seemed young, strong, and knowledgeable. He served as the attorney general under his mm-hmm. brother. And, and when people look at JFK, that was, they have this tragedy that happened, and it's not like JFK had any time to do anything they didn't like. And then LBJ is kind of this transition between them, mm-hmm. and they kind of see maybe as LBJ as maybe losing the, the soul of the country as kind of all this chaos is happening, within, at least within the party. Yeah, and, and maybe they thought you know Robert was going to bring back bring his back Kennedy the legacy, the Democrats bring yeah. back. Mm-hmm. And. I don't know, to cut LBJ some credit, not all of that is entirely his fault. The country largely did not agree with the decisions he was making, but I think that the period they were in, 1968, was a heck of a year. So many things were happening. It was very, very crazy, for lack of a better word. So I think LBJ obviously doesn't, because we still are maintaining that he removes his name, from the candidacy, I think RFK wins. What do you think? I have to agree. It's popular. Now, here's the bigger question. Does RFK win the presidential election? Does he beat Nixon? I'd have to say, if uh, the 1960 election meant anything between JFK and Nixon, RFK against Nixon, yeah, maybe something similar. Yeah, and it's important to note, though, um, one of the big reasons, and um, Nixon attributes this... Um, in a phone call with one, <laughs> yes, a phone call, folks. We're there already <laughs> um, with one of uh, I can't remember who off the top of my head, I'm, but um, because Nixon largely attributes his loss in this or er, in the 1960 presidential election to Kennedy because of the first nationally televised presidential debate face to face. It's something around 66 million people turn out and watch this debate on their televisions. That's a lot of people, and this is the first time this has happened. So it's it's a big moment in. U.S. history. What is big to note is that on the debate, Nixon is sweating and he looks uncomfortable and he looks anxious, while Kennedy looks calm, cool, and collected. And I think that when American citizens in 1960 saw this, they clearly just looking. If you were just to look at that, you could you your brain would want to assume that Kennedy was the more competent leader at the time. What do you think? I mean, yeah, I, I concur. Um, a lot of people, especially the time, there's not social media, there's not these quick, easy outlets to see who the profile on, on our candidates. So when maybe this is maybe the only time they see it beyond a poster, seeing them actually speak and then seeing it face-to-face, of course you're going to think the calm, cool, and collected, good-looking one is going to going to be the better face of, of America going forward. So absolutely, Kennedy had a big advantage there. Yeah, I agree. So to wrap up this category, 
What if neither Kennedy is assassinated? What do you think? And making this relate, is Nixon even, does he come back from his failure in 60 and then the governor raised 62 to the failure there? Does Nixon get the legacy that he so ambi ambitiously fought after? No. Kennedys are popular, and I would not be surprised if we went Kennedy, Kennedy, and possibly even Ted Kennedy to follow them. They were strong, popular, and one of the most powerful names in American, American politics, for sure. So I think Nixon may not have had that end road that he wanted so dearly. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Now, here's the second question. What if just JFK is assassinated? So again, Robert Kennedy, it looked like in the polls, he won California right before he was assassinated. He was on the rise, and it looked like he was going to take out Hubert Humphrey for sure. And then against Nixon, again, Kennedy. I think that name is just was so powerful then, and the fact that the American people had to witness JFK being assassinated followed by a weird transition with LBJ, who had to go through a lot. So he, we'll give him that. He had to go through a lot. But they would have saw Robert as this, as his passage back to a, the Kennedy Democrats. And for them, it probably seemed like a more civil, maybe more united time towards the end of the 60s where we were divided because of you know counterculture and maybe the silent majority. There's this big division there. So bringing it back to the Kennedys may have been a better alternative than the newness of Nixon and the Republicans. Yeah, I, I think I 100% agree with you. I think it, if neither of them had been assassinated, you probably would have seen the Kennedy dynasty. If just JFK had been assassinated, you probably still would have seen somewhat, though probably less drastic, of a Kennedy dynasty. I think um, RFK still probably would have won the election. Because Nixon, remember, he's still trying to shake the image of a loser. And that's um, one of his campaign managers. He says something along the lines, um, if we can lick the image of a loser, then we've got a winner. And I think that was really kind of what Nixon was trying to do. Because he was trying to get rid of, he had lost 1960, he had lost 1962, he said he was done with politics. He's trying to get rid of this. In that come 1968, some people still see him as the guy that lost he had everything set up for him. He was vice president. The natural transition. And, he, under, and under one of the greatest administrations, too, with Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah, one of, one of the most popular. He Eisenhower had some of the most amazing election numbers. He won by large majorities. People liked Eisenhower. His slogan was, you like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike. And Ike and Dick were popular. That was their, their administration was one of the most popular, especially during Eisenhower's 1950s, essentially conformist America. Coming back out of that, Nixon has it all set up for him. He's vice president, coming off of, like Trevor said, one of the most popular administrations of all time, but he still loses. And I think that's big to some people. They see, oh, that's the guy that he had everything in and then he lost it. And that, I think, is the big censure here for why RFK and JFK either did win or would have one yeah of course all right folks well that brings us to the end of our last segment and unfortunately you know what that means it is the end of our first pilot episode that's kind of impressive trevor we finished it we did one episode indeed Just remember this is we saw the rise and a little bit of a fall of nixon we're kind of seeing this rise back to a prominent popular politician 
Remember, as we look forward, we're going to challenge, challenge his character and integrity. We're going to look at how well he could persuade the public, what his vision was, how the economy did, look at equal justice, his relationship with Congress, performance within the context of time, his foreign policy, his leadership in crises, and just policy in general. We're going we're gonna to see where Nixon should be when we take a look back in history, whether that's good or bad. And remember, if you want to get in on our last segment and choose which one we do, you can email us at apresidentialpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at sites.google.com backslash view backslash apresidentialpodcast2020. Thanks for listening. For now, I'm Caleb Sampson. I'm Sir Trevor Adams. And we are signing out. May the force be with you, always.